Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kings River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host, on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. And I am joined, as always, by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today? Good day, Lindsay. Um, today's been, um, and this week has been pretty busy. Um, we had the sad news today of Mr. Hallenberg's passing. Mm. Uh, he was a stalwart in the church in leadership capacity. And um, we think of his wife, Auntie Maria, and their daughters and their family. Um, but generally, we are okay, just very busy. And, um, and I the family too is okay. I trust the same that you and your family are doing as well as can be. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Um, is that Mr. Hellenberg who lived in Highbury? That's correct, yeah. Yes, Edmund the, Hellenberg. the boxer in his young day, in his youth. He was a, uh, yeah, he was a, a wrestler. A wrestler. <laughs> I knew it was some form of physical. He's from the old um, Elsie's River crowd um, that then had moved to to Kelsover. My mom, my mom shared roots with him at like high school sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, old friend of the family, and my condolences to to that family. And yeah, it's always sad to hear these things. Um, yes, it is. It is the season of creation, as you have said. Yeah, the fifteenth Sunday after Pentecost. Um, I. Unfortunately, I'm one of those drips who only celebrates the vernal equinox as the beginning of spring. And that will be on September the 22nd at 21 minutes past nine in the evening. So 21-21. That will be when I celebrate spring starting. How, where do you fall on the spring day versus vernal equinox? <laughs> um... I think that it was interesting when I when I did the devotion the other day on the first, I realized that though the sun was shining, we still I still felt the chills of winter, mm -hmm. and I did wonder in my mind is this really the first day of spring? I I'm not as technical as you are, but I do accept that when we enter into September, we are entering into the season of spring. But we do understand that there are overlaps of the weather patterns and so on. We also do know that with climatic changes, things are changing. Mm. So I would like to say that I would want to not be fixed in a traditional category about when spring starts, but I would accept September being the month of, of the beginning of spring. So that, that includes your one as well. That was a very <laughs> diplomatic answer. I expect nothing less. <laughs> uh, Reverend, if you could please call our minds to the task ahead with the collective prayer, and I'll catch up with you at the Liturgy of the Word. Good day. Thank you for joining us. Let me greet you in these gathering words. My brothers and sisters, the Lord who pleads the cause of the poor is with you. Let us pray the collect 
for this 15th Sunday um, after Pentecost, and uh, Lindsay generously provides it on the podcast itself. We pray together, O God of love, your embrace includes everyone. Open our hearts and minds to your generous will, that in what we say and do we proclaim Christ's love and serve the needs of our neighbours through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So all three readings <clears throat> carry a certain theme, and we will we will get into that. Uh, but firstly, we haven't explored the Old Testament in a while. You know my feelings on that. Uh, but this is the first reading comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, 8 to 9, and 22 to 23. So the Proverbs are always uh, or credited to Solomon, the wise king, son of David. Uh, but I like to understand it as he oversaw the curation of a lot of oral traditions that <coughs> came long before him and then codified it into like one kind of document, drawing from his experience learning from other cultures as well, because there's a lot of Egyptian influence and um, especially in some of the chapter structures. Uh, but it, it deals with kind of practical tips for being a good person. And this one starts with, if you have to choose between a good reputation and great wealth, choose a good reputation. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. So then he goes on, uh, the next one is about um, if you plant the seeds of injustice, disaster will spring up and your oppression of others will end. And be generous and share your food with the poor, you'll be blessed for it. And then don't take advantage of the poor just because you can. Um, it, so so it, it's dealing with this idea of like classism and trying to stamp it out from, I, I guess, a Hebrew perspective, like just as in life, if you are following these teachings, please like be more considerate to all people. Where, where do you stand on this? Because in today's world, I believe that if you can choose great wealth, choose great wealth. And a lot of times a bad reputation is more just not seeing it correctly from the other person's point of view. Mm. Look, look I, um, I again, yeah, I think... I'm not so sure how one compares wisdom developed today without recognizing wisdom developed um, in centuries before um, and how that wisdom is captured in um, a language technique called proverbs mm. um, <clears throat> to then give, give you a theme to work on and a challenge to, to understand a kind of a philosophy that you could use. So, for example, if you say, if you choose between a good reputation and wealth, choose great wealth. Now, I would look at that and say that you, in, 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 in developing a good reputation, you can in, enable yourself to become wealthy more than just financial means. Um, but what is the starting point? So this is for me as a starting, choose the starting point 
that you want? Do you want to choose wealth first? And when you choose wealth, what comes with that choice? Mm. What mm. strategy are you going to use? And when we look at the way people choose wealth today, words like corruption is not very far from it. Words like fraud are not very far from it. Words like stabbing one other person in the back is not far from it. These are these are bedfellows of choosing great wealth. Um, you, you you look at somebody who's who's labelled themselves or society has labelled as gangsters. They in the underworld are also looking to accumulate great wealth. Uh, addressing the poverty, um, and so they 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 show the bling bling, and that's how their subculture draws people in. But we do know that there's a reputation that they have, obviously, is deluded into um, uh, badness. You've got to be bad in order to achieve such wealth. But then, look at church leaders who are also seeking to accumulate great wealth based on the lie that if you if you have faith, God will give you money. Mm. They end up with bad reputations seeking wealth as a first thing. So we've got to be able to learn the same with politicians. Um, the same with, I mean, these days, for example, big, huge companies are being found out that they that they've escalated prices. We've just found that out after we've given them all the wealth they need, and now they are fined, uh, mm -hmm. but they've made so many millions. So I would say uh, the choice between those two, the starting point, if you want to be wealthy, don't choose great wealth in the first place. Choose a good reputation that can help you build up wealth in the proper, in the proper means. Uh, but then we must remember, great wealth, can also come with the illusions of grandiose power. Uh, because if you have money, you have power. And when mm. you have money and you have power, what can you do with that? But if you have a great reputation and you get wealth, the, great, the wealth would be determined by the development of that reputation. So that is how I, I would see it. This also addresses... The, the realities of society. Why are there rich people and why are there poor people? And does rich mean wealth in terms of uh, financials and um, accumulation of, of goods? Uh, and does poverty mean, does poor means not having any of that? Why is society created around rich and poor? Um, this is a from Solomon King David, he was in the poor man by no measure. I mean, I, I don't know how he managed with 3,000 wives or whatever it is that he had. But given the wives that he married, some of which were not from his own culture, some were queens. Hmm. So the influence that those people have had on his thinking about this, it would then seem as if there is a general understanding throughout the world in any nature and nation and culture you would find they are wealthy people and they are poor people mm. why mm. is that a reality and if 
and 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 this statement sort of levels the playing ground the lord made them both so what difference does that make to the way i manage my wealth or the way i transcend from my poverty i don't know i i understand wealth in today's terms slightly differently it's like I, th- I think I'm drawing this now from a Chris Rock stand-up bit where he's like, the basketball player earning the big salary is rich, but the person paying his salary is wealthy. So, like, for me, the connotations I have with wealth is it's knowing the strategies to increase that wealth and to maintain that wealth. And, like, wealth comes with a lot of responsibility, so it's it's interesting that the the choice of words or at least the translation is wealth and not riches um because there's there's as as you rightly pointed out the world is structured society is structured according to um uh the rich and poor because you need the poor to be willing to work to increase the wealth of the wealth. Of the wealth. <laughs> <laughs> that um, becomes another profit. Another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you look at just like slavery overall, like <laughs> that, there was some crazy stuff. But it's, it's especially hilarious to me when wealthy people who come from a like generational privilege where it can be traced back to to direct profiteering off of slavery, where it's like, so why don't you share your wealth with the people who actually built it, you know? <laughs> and and for me, why I say choose wealth, it's like, choose the knowledge that will allow you to, it's not necessarily escape your circumstances. Because the theme that I picked up here is that, at least in the first two readings, there's, there's this idea that I also associate as toxic amongst Christians of the 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 grace in poverty, and it's like it depends on why you're impoverished and how you see it. like poverty isn't the thing like being poor in terms of not having a lot of money is one thing, but like being poor in the Northern Cape versus being poor in like the Cape Town CBD is two completely different realities, sure, you know? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that sometimes, and I was listening to a a program on, <coughs> on language and its subtle uses and how it can manipulate circumstances and it can manipulate truth as well. Mm-hmm. So... The, so it does cost us to listen very, very uh, importantly. For example, I would say that because of the of the political system we have had, um, that poverty became an institutionalized reality because it took away opportunities mm. for people to develop themselves and grow. Now, what has that done generationally to those people? So let's say 300 and 350 years ago, those of color were denigrated to second and third class citizenry. 
That means opportunities for them for educational development and all of, of that redevelopment did not happen. So you go on and you go on, you pass on. But there were those who, who did stand a chance to, in that, in that um, uh, connection, did stand a chance to improve themselves because they seized the opportunity. Then there are those who just did not know how to do that, and depending on where they lived, mm. what was available for them. So this cannot just be utilized by just throwing these words up. We have to reflect on them in context. Yeah. Uh, in order to understand what they really mean so that we can begin to address it. And I, I'm, I've been struggling with this. When I'm born into my family, I'm born into a structure of family life. Yeah. It is not part of my creation. Is it therefore my responsibility to help grow the, uh, that structure to become one in which... Um, that, that values respect and love and justice and peace and all of that, you know, cross the grain, uh, working together and all of that. Because um, when we get into society, we look for the things that will either give us power and money or give us money, the others can have the power. Mm. So with the result, always going to find an imbalance. But now, in our society, particularly we know of the underworld. Why has the underworld come into existence? Why are they those who are, I mean, even now, those who are gang bosses would call themselves businessmen. Mm. But we despise the underworld. But as Tupac would argue, they are gangsters in the in the White House too. Mm. So so then, who has to step up, to stand up and to step out, and say uh, what he is saying? The rich and the poor have, have this in common: the Lord both made them. Now, if that is a, a, a if we can say that forms the collective in our mindset. How then do we create the society and improve the society? Is poverty something that we should allow or should it be addressed? And do you get wealthy and rich all by your lonesome, Mm-mm. only by the seeds you plant? So where do we say, hold it, those of you that are getting wealthy, you are probably, and this is what Israel, the Israelites would have thought, if, if you have too much, somebody has too little. Mm. So why do you have too much that somebody has too little? And why does somebody have too little to have too much? Now, but if it says they have this in common, the Lord made them both. Does it mean the Lord is satisfied that there's rich and there is poor? What then in that statement helps us to understand what kind of society would the Lord have had? And we who are Christians pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Now, what does that mean then in the way society has been created? And how does society, how does it change? I was always interested in this. When we went over to the new dispensation of democracy, 
and constitutionality in 1994. Would the leading party, now the ANC, become like the National Party and therefore continue how they operated without changing and saying, okay, we are entering into new government now. Shouldn't we be looking at all politicians and saying, we're going to reduce your salaries. We're going to ensure that we address poverty because that's one of the things in the charter. We're going to ensure that these things are constitutionally managed so that every part of our nation will be, will be addressed. Did it happen that way? Mm. We are sitting now, for example, in the church. I just came from a discussion there. <clears throat> where some parishes can afford to pay their priest a stipend and a travel allowance. Mm. There's some priests who are living in parishes that cannot afford to pay even the stipend fully, nor the travel allowance. We have always been a church that have looked upon the, 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 the financial affairs of a priest, a full-time priest, in terms of parity. And it even had to be legislated, for example, that if I'm living in a those years, it was a formerly white parish where you would have, let's say, 50,000 Easter offering given to you. Whereas in a parish in the Northern Cape, the closest I got to 30,000 was 450 rand. Mm -hmm. Then legislation came and said, no, let us not do this anymore. Let us rather have a 13th check. Mm -hmm. So that was implemented. So no more Easter offerings. Yeah. However, the rich parish was still saying to the rector, but we want to bless you in this way. <laughs> so there's always a thing that says those that are wealthy will manipulate the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Poor people can't do that. So if there are if, if there if we share the the commonality between rich and poor as the Lord has made them both, how do we implement this? And does it address the issue of having too much wealth? And does it address the issue of living in abject poverty? But this does is it bring the does it Make the, the does it practically make the playing grounds equal? But this is the one of the central conflicts in <coughs> theology, or at least studying Bible texts, like Proverbs compiled by a literal king, one of the greatest kings in Israel, accumulated crazy wealth, entire like novels and fictional universes have been built around um, <coughs> adventurers seeking out King Solomon's leftover wealth, right? And it's written or communicated, because even in the in the James um, New Testament reading, uh, if you go here, listen, my dear friends, God chose the poor people of this world to be rich in faith and to possess the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. So like in both instances, you are meant to accept at the same simultaneously that God made both the rich and the poor, but the poor 
are more glorified by God. And it's like, now what happens to the rich man? You know, does he just sleep on his pile of money every night? And it, it, it's, it's a tool that has been used. This very document, this very book has been used to prop up the powerful and to maintain the status quo. And then like these little ideas get thrown out like little little offerings. It's like, no, 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 don't worry, you rich in spirit. It's like, no, no. <laughs> if you understood, like historically, if if the slaves who the colonizers were converting to Christianity <coughs> understood how the rules were made behind closed doors, I don't think they'd get up to go pick that cotton or the sugar cane <laughs> in the morning, you know. Right. You know, I, I was thinking that how, why do does the authors talk about this reality of rich and poor? Um, Solomon was in the position of power. Does his proverbs and wisdom indicate that he was addressing poverty? Mm. Was the statement that he says here, the rich and the poor have this in common? Now, the Lord made them both. Was it a statement that the rich should consider? Mm. Because what would the poor come to the table with? Immediately in this, or just what's then, he talks about this planting of the seeds of injustice. Who does that? Does the poor plant seeds of injustice? Mm. So again, it goes back to that thing there, the choice between a good reputation. You can develop a good reputation and have the skills and the learning and the aptitude to raise great wealth, but not at the cost of putting your brother or sister into a state of poverty. Mm. So, um, so too, how does James address a reality? James did not look past the fact of how, for example, the, the rich are treated and how the poor are treated in the context. Why then is he saying God chose the poor people of the world to be rich in faith? Is it because it is it is it is true that Jesus says it was difficult for the rich man to go th to, to the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven uh, as it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle? Was Jesus saying it was wrong to be rich and wealthy, um, or in the accumulation thereof? you are robbing somebody else of an opportunity because those that are wealthy do not consider the sweat and blood and tears that a poor person brings to the table in service. Mm. Um, how many, okay, so maybe the bank manager has responsibility and therefore he earns all of that. But when you are there on the cold face as the, the coalface as the person doing the queries, 
You've got to implement a policy that was written. Where's the fairness in the system that the person who has to inform the customers and therefore the world, this is what our bank give up. Why is their salary, the increases that they get, nowhere near what the manager at the top or the, the person at the top gets? So this is a very, this is a very um, difficult conversation to have. But Desmond Tutu would say this, God has a bias for the sinner, God has a bias for the poor. Mm. Why did Jesus read from the book of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor? Why was that? an important part of his mission strategy. That the people that needs to hear my message are those whose lives are perhaps not clouded as wealth could easily cloud our lives. It could make us have a false sense of, 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 of um, independence. Is it, is it possible that wealth can do all these things to you? Is there, is there a way in which people who have accumulated wealth are detached from their wealth and the illusion that wealth brings? And that the poor person who has nothing in this world to call their own, it would be more susceptible to believing and trusting in this part of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Mm. Give us in today what we need, Lord. Give us. So what we receive is gift and not possession. Mm. Is it also possible that when I accumulate wealth, that wealth possesses me? Because in order to maintain the status of being wealthy, I'm driven by the monster to make more money. I'm never going to be satisfied. There is that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm a business owner. My business is my own personal skills, but it is a business nonetheless. Puts food on the table. And allows me certain luxuries, but my I'm guided by my desire to do good work, and by good I mean it 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 works on many levels where it's like it's honest, but at this point I've I've also matured to I will accept money for doing what I am paid to do, what people are willing to pay me to do. Um, so be it vanity projects, be it communication that might not be to the benefit of society, um, be that as it may. But I price myself a little cheaply because I don't want to be married to <coughs> the quality standards that a higher price um, in, in implicates implies where it's like I'll rather over deliver and get recurring work than underperform for the price, you know? 
Um, so that's that's the way I and I mean I I I, I like to I, I like the idea of you put in an honest day's work, you take your money, you go home. You know, I don't like getting things for free or not feeling like I've earned any. So in other words, so in, so in other words, your choice is good reputation that develops wealth. Yes, yes. With the conscience where you can then begin to say, I've accumulated, but I want to do good with what I've been able to receive as gift. Yeah. I'm not going to allow this to possess me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because as soon as wealth possesses you, in the Afrikaans' words, they say, that is nah. Mm. Mm. And we have seen people go down losing their humanity as a result of, 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 the, of, of building wealth to such because you see when you start building wealth you can't stop it mm. that's what i've been able to observe and unfortunately the wealth we build is only credited to that which is my bank account and what i can afford in terms of the bling bling porsches <laughs> god i mean rich people have 20 cars how many of them they use i accumulated because i loved watches and pens mm. Now in my going into my my old age, I ask myself why, when you only needed one watch at a time, why were you caught up with having five watches and you only really wear one at a time, one that works well and one that is good to be able to do that. So why did I build up all of these pins, you know, Parker and God alone knows what I have, and then I say. What was this all about? It was a symbol of wealth that you adopted from. Of the course, I was. You grew up living. You, you grew the up illusion living. of wealth is always a, a temptation that follows us. It's interesting that you speak about watches because I, I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I take pity, and it is a judgment. A complete. I'm very judgmental, uh, but I try not to. As, as I've said before, I try not to let that encroach on my physical dealings with people. Um, so. Uh, but anyway, I, I take pity on people who collect watches and have this like warped perception of like value. Jewelry, same thing. It's like I was <laughs> I had to tell my daughter the other day where it's like, how much do you think diamonds are worth? And she's like, a lot of money. And, you know, you're rich if you have a lot of diamonds. I'm like, no, the person who sells you the diamonds gets rich. You try and sell that diamond for the same price you bought it for. And I will promise you, you will find that those economics don't work out favorably for you. It's the exact same thing with watches. It's like, I don't understand how we always get fooled into this belief that buying things that have no inherent value, except to the person wearing them, wearing it, is like a good investment and a good way to to show your wealth. And it's like, for me, wealth, the true test of wealth is always when things go wrong. So if you lose your job tomorrow, I pray you do not. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm very sorry for putting that energy out there, speaking those words. Uh, but like true wealth will allow you to maintain some level of existence 
without having to become desperate and compromise on other decisions that you've made until like the ship is on the horizon again. And then, doesn't that take us then into the gospel story? Yes. Where, where the, the, the lady's understanding of what God can give her was that it's okay even if I eat the crumbs that fell from the table like dogs do. Mm. <clears throat> what is important for me is that my daughter recovers. Mm. So the, the, the choice she was making to receive the measure of grace, even in crumb form, was enough to assure her that the investment of her daughter's life and well-being and the future, because her future lay in her child as well, yes. is a far better choice than being greedy and losing out on what is truly of essence, which is the life of a beloved person. But let's not divorce the problematic elements of this gospel, which is according to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. So um, Jesus goes to Tyre. He doesn't want to be noticed, but Jesus is built up quite a reputation at this point. People notice him. And then a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman, a Gentile of Syrophoenician, Syrophoenician? Yes, that's it, correct. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So now it's like, okay, fine. Jesus is saying that, you know, let me help out these Hebrew folk first, um, the people that I'm actually here to save. Um, Y'all Gentiles, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> What is that? Why? Why is Jesus acting this way? The story that we must understand is why did Peter recall this event in the life of Jesus in his gospel writing? Because mm. Peter mm. is the one who's dictating to Mark, who wrote this gospel. That <coughs> The mindset of the time was that Israel had nationalized God. Mm. And so God was only there for the Jews. Well, that's kind of still true today. Sorry? That's kind of still true today. Yeah, th that is true today, but it's so true for other nations as well. Yes, yes. You know, the, the, um, and, and maybe other faiths as well. So now Jesus, in a gospel story, is challenged by the breaking in of a Gentile woman. Two things that are associated with dogs. Mm. A Gentile and a woman. Maybe three. She comes from a different culture. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I didn't see the other one. I didn't think you would... And as far as the, the Jews were concerned, that was dogs. That's yeah. how they must be seen, categorized, classified, and treated. So this story is Jesus challenging the mindset of the Jews. 
because he does not shut the lady up and send it away. He said to her, he engages her conversation. She begs him to cast out a demon. In asking him to do that, she is celebrating him as the one over who, who has the power over the devil, over the demons as it's understood. And Jesus says, but the culture here is, I can't do that for you until I fed the children first. Is that really my mission now? Because you are coming and, and I have to feed the children. Mm. The covenanted mm. children must get my attention. Isn't that how these people are thinking? And she comes and says, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. This is so beautiful. Did she change his mind? Or was the story telling us that Jesus deliberately entered into conversation with in the way that he did in order to break the mindset of the day? In order to say his true mission was not just for Israel, but for everybody, including those whom Israel treated as dogs. That if she's saying, I'm not. I'm not particularly worried if the children need to eat and you must pay attention to it, but I want you to understand that as crumbs fall to the table because children eat messily, the dogs are hanging around to fill their own tummies with what is part of the meal on the table mm. through the clumsiness of the children. I don't know. I see this in the same way as like there was a woman in the marketplace who also challenged him um, from a Gentile perspective. Um, oh, I forget which story. But anyway, uh, where, where, you know, my thing about like Jesus in this phase of his miracle making, he was feeling himself a lot. I mean, he was a he was a celebrity as near to an legitimate rock star as you could get at the time. And this, I think, says more. Uh, so there's two things at play here. There's two things that I'm considering. One is this was a test to see if the woman was open to conversion, because I believe that in her response, she then ceases to be identifiable as a Gentile and more as like a believer in the Christ character. Oh, the other thing is he was just responding as an arrogant Hebrew and saying these things, and then she changes his mind. Both of them can be true in my mind. <laughs> now, I tend to differ when it comes to, the, to, to, to Jesus because I think the gospel is him being able to to challenge the mindset of the Jews that he had to deal with, the Pharisees. Earlier on in this chapter, they were on about washing of hands and washing of plates and keeping to tradition. Yeah. So this was a conversation that challenged the mindset that was created by the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. Their legalism, their um, sense of the, the, the tradition, which must be upheld. So the way the story is told for me um, is to help. Jesus was already there. He knew he'd come for the sins of the world. 
But how was he going to change the mindset? This encounter with this woman um, enables him to challenge the mindset of the day. Let the children be fed first. Is he saying to her, no, I don't want to help you? Is he saying to her, she's second class? No, he's saying, well, let the children be fed. Who are these children I've got to feed that they must be fed first? And why are you not part of the children? It's the audience. So he was challenging mindset. No, it's the audience. He's referring to the audience that he has come to address. Challenging the mindset of the day. I I, I think he was maybe challenging her more. I don't think so. I, I, well, challenging her more because now by pushing the envelope, she's able to come with uh, uh, um, boundary-breaking uh, uh, wisdom. Mm. A, a, an example in every culture, dogs eat the crumbs on the ground. Crumbs fall from the table. Mm. And the dog is not discounted as being part of the family. The dog is part of the family. They're not chased away from the from from under the table. Indeed, I think so. We... He's challenging the mindset. He's pushing the envelope because, in other words, she then comes up with a gospel truth. There is I'm... enough grace for everybody. Even dogs can participate in the grace. I'm I'm still stuck, I'm, and I'm going to stick uh, to my idea that that the gospel wasn't delivered by Jesus, but delivered to Jesus. And I know that flies directly in the face of him knowing all, and you know, being Jesus. <laughs> uh, but I I think I think for me. Why why I would pass on this story like to my children in, in this way is because I believe it reflects more on the human experience that he embraced, where it's like he was brought out of a form of ignorance by a a woman in, in, in this perspective. I know we've, we've just closed the chapter on, on Women's Month, although 16 Days of Activism is on its way, um, but we are always um, allies of women and promoting female inclusion. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I think that is is the gospel at play here and not so much um, expressing Jesus's like divine ability. Well, the gospel expresses who Jesus is right at the end. Mm. It says he has done everything, even makes the deaf to hear and the way to speak. So who is this man? Yeah, who but that's after man? he does like a miracle. About no, the, but this the... is the reflection on it. Yeah. Who is he that he allows himself to be engaged by a gentle woman? He can't be a true Jew, is he? If he allows himself to be in conversation with a gentle woman. He he allows himself to be engaged by humanity in their brokenness because of who he is. He comes to die because he encounters the death in the brokenness of humanity. And so, <coughs> he, <coughs> because he is the good news, because he is the gospel, and she affirms this, 
she affirms mm. who he is. Um, she has a sense of who he is. Um, she heard about him and she comes and bows at his feet. And so through her engagement with him, he's able to broaden a sense of what the gospel is all about and for whom the gospel is. Because he is the gospel. He is about the goodness of God to the world. But the world's mindset is closed. When, when during, during um, uh, W.H. Bush's time, going into Baghdad to bomb up, they were, they were praying, the Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What were they praying on the other side? And to whom were they praying on the other side? You are going to open a conversation that is going to extend another few hours. <laughs> so you see how the mindset of the world has to change? That's where I will leave it from myself today. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that that you say that I was I was watching an old uh, Hillary Clinton interview uh, where she predicted what would happen um, with the when the U.S. left Afghanistan uh, because by referring to what happened when the Russians left Afghanistan because the U.S. were arming the Mujahideen and then the displaced people then formed the Taliban and they were then trained by the Mujahideen. And so like, oh, it's just a cycle of insanity. Uh, but that is for another day. Um, yeah, I, I think like for me, the, the, the theme that kind of presented itself when I was going through the liturgy was this whole idea of the prescriptiveness of scripture. And then this gospel story just kind of flipped it for me where it went against the idea of propping up the image of like the, the Christ figure and grounding it more in like a human experience where he was brought into a new understanding of the situation. But that that is my story and I will stick to it. <laughs> um, but if you could please add some other closing points and extract a few more um, yeah. reflections. Thanks very much, uh, Lindsay. We, we have noticed that this is um, the month of the season of creation from the 1st of September to the 4th of October. And so there is a prayer that is being prayed for the season of creation. And I'm just going to do the first part of it. Um, creator of all, we are grateful that from your communion of love, you created our planet to be a home for all. And so our prayer is that we will treat this planet in such a way with respect um, and, and with honor. Also, it is um, the month for young people, and we uphold in our prayers the ministries of the church to our young people, uh, Sunday school confirmation and youth groups. 
and remember the challenges that youth face in our world. We also pray in this time of lots of noise for a spirit of listening. So prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord, and help us to put your vision for tomorrow into practice today. We do want to pray for those experiencing abuse and discrimination, those um, who suffer the ills of poverty and homelessness. We continue to pray that God may help us through this time of COVID that we may respond with wisdom to the vaccines, to compassionate care, as we see the sadness of death continue to unfold as the levels of um, the virus increase. Lord bless those celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, and please continue to help us to respect our constitution in this country and for the democracy for which many lost their lives. And we ask that you may across the board help us to develop better political strategies to address the social challenges we face to raise the quality lord of our humanity and our respect for each other that even the hearts of the wealthy would be touched to share with the poor and also that the hearts of the poor may be touched so to share for a better world with the wealthy. We also uh, pray that God may grant uh, God's peace upon all the continents and the nations of the world and for our leaders. And so I pray that in this week you will go out in love, reconciled to one another in Christ, laying aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light that you may live honorably, fulfilling the Lord through love for all. My sisters and brothers, may God mark you out for salvation. May Christ Jesus be present among you always. May the Holy Spirit reconcile you to one another and fulfill the love, the law of love among you. Um, enjoy the rest of the week and remember we love you and we trust God's blessings and protection to be upon you. Thank you for tuning in another week.